Welcome to Live Label Free, the podcast where we talk about all things eating disorder recovery, autism, entrepreneurship, and so much more. I'm your host, Livia Sarah, and my mission is to inspire individuals from across the globe to live a life in which they feel fulfilled and free from limiting labels. I am so excited to have you here and cannot wait to dive into the episode. Hello, my friends, and welcome to not only the podcast, but welcome to my very first interview on the podcast. I am so excited to be chatting with my dear friend Verna today, who can be found on Instagram at Vegan Toasty. Verna is a fellow autistic female and eating disorder warrior who currently lives in the Netherlands, so our chat today was also a bit of a goodbye considering I am moving to San Diego soon. In today's episode, we dive deep into so many topics related to autism and eating disorders, from how autism can contribute to eating disorders and other mental health issues, the impact of social media on autism, the importance of semantics when it comes to a disability versus a disorder, we talk about periods, hormones, and so much more. We also give our favorite tips when it comes to meal planning and how to break the restrict binge cycle, as well as how to keep showing up in recovery as an autistic individual. It was such an insightful conversation, and I guarantee you will learn something from both my and Verla's stories. So, without further ado, here's Verla. Hey Verla, how are you doing today? I'm a bit nervous, but... Other than that, I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, me too. And honestly, I am nervous too. I think we're both nervous because this is my first podcast interview on my podcast. And I'm pretty sure this is your first podcast interview ever. Am I correct in that? Yeah, other than the the few tries of recording my own podcast, you know, just for my myself, basically. This is my first time as well, yeah. Well, great. And I think that it's so okay to be nervous because... When you have a fear and you go through that fear and you see that it's not as bad as you thought it would be, we often surprise ourselves. So I'm so excited to be chatting with you today and thank you so much for coming on to the Live Label Free podcast. I'm really excited to dive into all the different topics regarding autism, eating disorders, periods, social media, really anything. Um, So how about you just start off by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? And yeah, why don't we just start there? Okay, well, I think I should start by telling how we met. Yeah, go ahead. Which is through our Instagram platforms. I mean, you obviously run Lift Label Free and you do it so well. (laughs) Thank you. And uh, I have a very small platform called Vegan Toasty which I run on and off whenever I feel like it. And I think I reached out to you and told you how much I admired you. And I think after that, we met up a couple of times and we always had such interesting conversations, which led up to this podcast. Yeah, definitely. And other than that, right now, I'm just a, I want to say student, but I'm not a student. I'm just, working right now and trying to still deal with finding out I have autism and trying to find a way to work with that in my day-to-day life. Yeah, and I I love that you say that. And I think that's so interesting because 
before we met, when we were both just doing our Instagram and we didn't really know each other in person yet, we were both really like food focused and recipe focused. And I didn't know about your autism or even that you had an eating disorder or a history thereof. And it was also before I knew I had autism. So it's so interesting how we kind of connected naturally without even knowing these mental health histories. Um, so I just think it's so beautiful how you kind of gravitate towards like-minded people, like literally like-minded. So I just think that's so incredibly cool. So can you tell me a bit about your autism and your autism story and kind of when you found out you had autism and how that was like for you growing up? Absolutely. I think growing up, I always felt a bit out of place. And I don't know, starting high school, things started to go a bit wrong. And I wasn't really motivated anymore. And I was super insecure. I was just somber a lot of the time. And I went to see a therapist. And she pointed out to me that a lot of the things that I often talked about were kind of in a similar theme. And then I did some tests. And it actually turned out I have autism. And when I heard that, everything just fell into place. And it started to make so much sense. And even now, I'm still finding out new things about autism that I never knew were even related to that, like finding out the link between autism and eating disorders. Yeah, and that's so relatable for me, because before I found out I had autism, there were so many characteristics or traits about myself that have been present since my youngest years. I remember my parents telling me stories about how I was two years old and I would just line up all the shoes at the beach and when people would come to a party I would tell everyone what they had to get me for my birthday because I didn't want to be surprised and the only kinds of drawings I ever made were symmetrical castles and rainbows and I even protested in first grade once when we had to draw something else because I couldn't draw something else. Like it had to be the same thing. So I just think it's so incredible how when you find out you have autism, when you kind of get this diagnosis, it really is that missing piece. And I love that you say that because for me, it almost feels like the the puzzle piece that completed my mental puzzle. And obviously there's still so many moving parts and I'm I keep learning so much about not only autism, but also about eating disorders and especially the connection between the two. So I just think it's incredible how much information just keeps coming out and how there's so much awareness on social media. So do you want to kind of dive into the impact of social media and how that has helped you learn more about yourself and your autism? Absolutely. I think social media played a key role in kind of coming to terms with being autistic because when you grow up the people around you are used to your traits and you can kind of forget that person has certain traits because they become part of that person you no longer think anything of them so it turned out that I had autism a lot of the people around me I think were even more confused than me and had a hard time accepting it and when I turned the social media, it turned out a lot of people felt this way. And it actually shifted from something negative to something 
completely normal and that was so reassuring yeah no definitely and totally relatable for not only me but I'm sure a lot of the listeners too and I'm wondering at what age were you when you were diagnosed with autism and how did this relate to the time frame regarding you starting your Instagram account and was that before or after you started your account and why did you start an Instagram account in the first place I don't know where to start actually but I'm just going to start with the diagnosis I think I was 16 or just 17 and I'm almost 19 now so about two years ago I started my Instagram account about three or four years before that oh wow so you've had your Instagram account for a while then yeah well two years ago it was 2019 yeah and I started my account in 2016 okay okay yeah so that makes sense the funny thing is I actually started my Instagram account to kind of make sure that I ate because I was in the midst of my eating disorder and I needed a reason to eat and Instagram was that for me. Yeah. After a while, the mindset shifted actually. I actually didn't want to do food anymore or make food photography anymore because I had grown so much in my eating disorder recovery journey that I didn't want to focus all of my energy on food anymore. And I think you know this feeling so well. Yeah, I'm like nodding my head in auto agreement because this honestly could not be more relatable to me. Like I started my Instagram account actually like around four years ago too. I started up right before I actually went to treatment in 2017. I had already had my Instagram for a little while, but it was really like food, 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 food. Like I would take pictures of everything, my breakfast, my snacks, my lunch, my dinner, every crumb of food I would eat, I would have to take a picture and post it almost to like document to Instagram. Like, look, proof that I'm trying, proof that I'm trying to recover, proof that I'm trying to eat. And it was really like a means of accountability because if I didn't have that, I couldn't almost trust myself that I would eat. And then after Carolina House, as most of my listeners know, that's where I was in eating disorder treatment for six months. I still continued a lot with the food because something that I very clearly remember my therapist saying um, on my last day was, So you've gained all this weight, but now the real work begins. And that sentence will just forever stay with me because people often think that eating disorders are about gaining weight. If it's regarding someone who was chronically underweight, but it starts mentally, like it's a mental illness. And I think because so often eating disorders do manifest physically, people forget that it's a mental illness and that you really have to challenge beliefs and mental thought patterns instead of trying to force food down someone's throat and all these kind of insane measures that uh, healthcare providers will take to get someone to eat again. So I do know that before we started recording you, I actually didn't know um, before I asked you on the podcast that you had history of an eating disorder. So I'm wondering, can you kind of tell me about the history of your eating disorder and how you feel your autism played a role into this? Well, for a long time, I actually didn't really understand how I came to have an eating disorder. And then when I heard I had autism and kind of started to learn about what that means, it started to make sense to me. Not having certain 
cues, like hunger cues, and I would not eat for the majority of the day. And then at the end of the day, I would start eating and my body be like, oh, so there is food. Okay, give me more of that. And I would eat and then not have a cue of feeling full. And then I'd overeat. And then I'd feel guilty for overeating because that is just something that we are taught in society, I guess, that we have to not overeat because that is gluttonous. Yeah, and I mean, what even is overeating? Like, who even set the limit of normal eating anyways? And that's why I just, I hate that word overeating, because I'm like, over what? Is there some sort of bar graph that says, like, this is the maximum limit? So yeah, I just think that's really interesting what you said. Something I want to touch on really quick is about these lack of hunger cues, because I actually, my latest podcast episode is about interoception and how people with autism often lack interoceptive awareness, which is kind of what monitors the inner state of our bodies. And that if you lack interoceptive awareness, you have a really hard time kind of sensing what your body is telling you. And it's a very actually commonly known phenomenon in the autistic community. And I had never even heard of the term before I started learning more about autism. But as I started diving into it and reading that it was this lack of interoceptive awareness that contributed to lack of hunger cues and lack of properly responding to hunger cues. I really started to think like, well, that sounds a lot like people with eating disorders because they often don't respond to hunger cues properly either. So I think that's really, really interesting. And before we started recording, we did talk about kind of this cycle of how not responding to hunger cues leads to like a whole list of other things. So can you tell me a bit about that and how you kind of approach making meals and what that can trigger? Uh, sure. I mean, putting off eating meals has not so much to do with not feeling hunger cues, but it also has to do with feeling mentally and actually physically not energized enough to actually make a meal and something as small as making a meal and thinking about having to do the dishes afterwards can become such a big thing that you actually feel so much anxiety for it that you either choose to skip the meal like at all or you eat like these snacks things yeah like meals like foods that are really just easy to grab crackers and rice cakes and cereal and really this kind of like typical I feel like foods that can ultimately lead to what society calls overeating or binging and I feel like that leads us into like this whole other cycle like this restrict binge cycle and it may even start unconsciously because what you're saying about how the task of making a meal just feels so monumental and again not only making the meal because if you were gonna like cook pasta you need to like clean the pan afterwards and you have to like drain it and add the sauce and then (laughs) you're making all these different utensils and bowls and pans and pots dirty and it's almost so overwhelming of like, I have to make this and then I also have to clean up after that you will either procrastinate it or skip the meal at all. And that can be a sign of like that disordered eating and come across as like, this person doesn't eat meals. And then it can also result in, well, I'm going to save myself of that anxiety and save myself of not having to do the dishes. And then you grab something that's easy. That's like, quickly readily available so prepackaged items but because these prepackaged items are obviously not as satisfying as a whole meal with all the different food groups it can just 
leave us feeling really unsatisfied, which can then lead to us continuing to eat, which can then lead to this feeling of guilt afterwards. And then that leads us back to restricting because we feel so guilty for overeating. So did I kind of summarize that correctly? Yes, you did. What I wanted to actually end on was these foods, obviously, ultimately, they don't feel like they're not satisfying. They're not nutritious for your body, like energizing. And that makes you eat more of these crackers. Like crackers, they do not have a lot of calories, but because they are big in volume, it makes you think that you're eating a lot. And society tells you that these are like snacky foods and foods that you eat in the middle of meals or in between meals or at like a snack time, but not as a meal. And that's because they aren't meals. And then when you eat these meals and like you finished eating all of this and don't feel satisfied, you turn to something else. Maybe some of the the things that you actually feel guilty eating like chocolate or candy because you're not satisfied. And then afterward comes the guilt. And the next day you feel like you you need to make up for something starting off in a bad place because you you already started the day without the first meal, putting it off even more, falling into this cycle. And where does it end? Yeah, yeah. It's really that vicious cycle that you have to break by knowing that you have maybe overate the day before and then starting the day off knowing that it's a new day and saying in order to break the cycle I need to prove to my body that there is adequate amount of food and I need to eat breakfast now because one of the most common questions I get asked along with the infamous how do I get rid of extreme hunger (laughs) is how do I stop like how do I stop binging and really the key to stop binging is to stop restricting I mean we so often think that binging and overeating is the issue but it's just a human biological response to restriction. I mean, our body would feel no need to indulge in foods if it had those foods already. So as hard as it is to anyone listening to this struggling with binging, and I know that it's most common at night or later in the day, if you don't know how to stop binging, the number one answer to that is the next day, eat breakfast, eat lunch, make adequate meals and eat enough food because your body will appreciate that and your body will not feel the need to compensate if there's nothing to compensate for. But like you said, that can be so difficult for people with autism or autistic individuals because creating meals is so monumental, can feel like such hard work. So it's really a catch-22 of where do you start and how do you make those tweaks? So I'm wondering, do you have any tips for our listeners with regards to making meals more inviting and not as intimidating? I thought about this yesterday, actually, because yesterday was one of those days where I just did not have the energy to make a meal. And I thought of a couple of things, how you can help yourself if you have difficulty doing that. Either start meal planning, I think is a good start. Or what I often do, I keep like frozen food in my freezer, like pre-marinated tofu. So like I can just defrost some things and put it on a plate and actually have an nutritious meal yeah. without all of the effort without all of the dishes but still leaving me satisfied after 
Yeah, that's a really good tip. I love that. I am a huge fan of my freezer. For anyone who knows Dutch apartments, usually you get a small fridge with like a one shelf freezer. <laughs> so obviously when I moved in, I was like, this is a joke because everyone knows who follows me on Instagram that I'm always making smoothie bowls and I need to store all my frozen fruit somewhere. So I actually bought a whole extra freezer that is just filled to the brim with frozen vegetables and frozen everything because I mean, frozen grilled veggies like not having to chop an eggplant and roast it and just having it in a bag <laughs> i mean that's so easy and it honestly tastes like fine it tastes just as good and meal planning indeed is like a really good one i actually do have a downloadable free weekly meal planner on my website livelabelfree.com so if you subscribe to my newsletter you will get that free weekly meal planner which comes with templates for creating grocery lists and everything which kind of leads me into another thing because meal planning for me I feel like it's very controversial in terms of like can it be helpful or harmful because for me meal planning became very obsessive at some point I would have like Sunday as my meal planning day but if something came up like if an event came up like obviously with COVID and everything there really hasn't been any events but if something came up or like if I had a call or it was raining and I couldn't go to the grocery store because here everyone does everything by bike and you'll get wet if you <laughs> if you bike to the grocery store in the rain. I would get so stressed out because I would be like, this is going off my schedule. And especially for someone with autism, like we have attached so much value to a schedule because it creates that predictability factor and it gives us that sense of control over our life, which ultimately is again a whole nother topic that relates to eating disorders because we often turn to food and exercise to kind of have that false sense of control. But I think with meal planning, it's kind of really important to be flexible when it comes to meal planning. And something that I've learned for myself that I want to kind of tip the listeners with is that meal planning doesn't mean making every single meal for every single day a week in advance. Like meal planning can be as easy as choosing a couple different kinds of veggies, choosing a couple different kinds of proteins, and choosing a couple different kinds of grains or starches. And each week kind of picking three to four new ones and then saying these are the items I'm going to buy at the grocery store and then also always knowing your staples like for me it's like oats and beans and tofu yogurt and that kind of things and just really experimenting with it and having fun with it because ultimately food should not be a stressful experience like it should not induce anxiety because it really is meant to nourish us and we need it so I really think that and hope that those tips are helpful for anyone listening. So if you do struggle with meal planning and you'd like more tips, send either me or Lila a DM on Instagram. Lila, what's your handle name? At Vegan Toasty. So that's V-E-G-A-N-T-O-A-S-T-I-E. And I'm Live Label Free, as most of you guys know. And if you are enjoying this episode... Take a screenshot and share it on your IG stories and tag us both and let us know what you thought because we both love to hear from you. Right, Vera? We do, yes. We do. Okay, I love that. So I kind of want to shift gears here if you have nothing else to add to the meal planning um, part. I think you've said it all. Okay, great. Thanks. So I kind of want to shift gears here and ask you a question that I think is also a bit those differing opinions. And that is regarding how people with autism or autistic individuals prefer to be called because we 
interchangeably use the terms person with autism. So like I have autism as well as autistic individual or autistic person. So I'm kind of wondering what your thoughts are on the language and kind of the semantics and which one you prefer and why. I think I often talk about myself as having autism, which I think has a lot to do with the way that autism is used in the Dutch language. Mm -hmm. Like an autistic person is called an autist in Dutch, and it can often be used as a swear word for someone that is very particular in their ways. And it's very discouraging to call yourself that, which is why I probably prefer to go by person with autism. But I also understand why people would prefer to be referred to as autistic, because with autism suggests that you can also be a person without autism. Right. Yeah, no, I, I love that you say that. And I think it's so interesting to hear it from that perspective of someone who grew up culturally embedded with like the Dutch culture because for anyone who's not in the Netherlands which most of our listeners will be I'm guessing is that in Holland we use like a lot of illness terms as swear words and it's totally awful but there's nothing we can (laughs) change about it I'm like laughing but like it's not funny but I think you definitely kind of really have a point there that If you grow up in a country where the term like autistic or autist is used very negatively and has this very negative connotation, like, of course, you will view to saying I have autism because it just makes you feel more comfortable, I guess, sharing about your diagnosis. Also, what you said about having autism and how you can understand why people would prefer saying autistic. I think it's really interesting because when it comes to autism and eating disorders I take on a completely different stance with these two terms because when it comes to like autism I will usually say like I am autistic because everything I do is autistic the way I live is autistic my actions are autistic um my whole life is autistic because I am autistic I was born that way and it's like I told you before like it's not some kind of handbag that I can just throw on the sidewalk and say I don't want you anymore autism but with eating disorders it's so different because I often don't like when people say you are anorexic or you are disordered or you are bulimic or any of these terms because you are not your disorder you have a disorder just like you got a disorder but you are not the disorder well for me that really helped knowing kind of the different terminology because when I understood like I had an eating disorder and I was not disordered it really gives you almost the power back to say like I'm choosing to fight off this beast because if the beast is not you then you can fight it off so what are your opinions on that Absolutely. I think it makes you feel super helpless if you feel like you are the disorder, mm-hmm. like how it is with an eating disorder. Don't even know how to start recovery because how do you recover when you are something? But with autism, I think the main difference is autism isn't something negative as how it is portrayed sometimes. So it isn't really as daunting to be autistic as soon as you start seeing that it actually isn't something negative. Yeah, no, I love that. And I definitely agree with that not being something negative. And I, for myself, would honestly go as far to say that it is something positive because my autism and being autistic has really allowed me to understand people on a deeper level and really connect with them. 
And we were talking about this earlier, how it often comes across that people with autism or autistic people don't have emotions and cannot really relate to anyone. But that actually couldn't be further from the truth because we often can actually empathize with people very, very deeply. But it's usually only if we actually know what it feels like to be in that person's situation. Do you remember when we were talking about that? I do. And I just thought of how that is actually so painful because because people don't see that part of us, either because we don't express our emotions as clearly as maybe a neurotypical person, but underneath the surface, so much is happening that other people don't see. And because we are so sensitive, it is actually very hurtful that people don't see that side of us and put up this picture of us that we are that way when we are not at all like that. Exactly. Yeah. And you touched on something really important. And that's that hypersensitivity that neurotypical people often don't know is that we are so incredibly sensitive. So when they make a judgment about us or say that we are something that we're not or say that we don't feel things in the way we should, that can really hurt our feelings and damage our like mental health a lot. And I think that's also the reason why autistic individuals often have comorbid mental health issues because we are so sensitive. And when we are exposed to these kind of negative comments or bullying or whatever it be, that can really be traumatic to us and kind of propel us into other mental health issues such as like depression or OCD tendencies, again, to grasp onto that control. And again, like eating disorders, because we are looking for a way to cope with all these uncertainties and kind of to find a safe space to deal with the world that seems very unsafe to us. Especially because generally people with autism or autistics also have a very strong sense of justice and righteousness. Yeah, definitely. And these things just come across as so unfair and it's hard to make sense of them. Yeah, no, definitely. I completely agree with you. And that righteousness is definitely something I just so struggle with because... I was recently scammed, (laughs) um, as most of you know, if you've listened to my second podcast episode. And in that episode, I actually shared that it's not even the money for me that's the worst part, but it's this idea that the world is so cruel and that the world is so unfair and that there are people like me and you literally working our asses off to make the world a better place and to help and inspire people. And the money we earn, like we work hard for that. And then there's random people that are sitting in some sort of like scam lab god knows where just kind of feeding off of these hardworking people like parasites and it's just so upsetting and i could not sleep for weeks and still honestly can't stop thinking about it because you are just unable to wrap your head around the fact that there's just cruelty in the world and that this isn't even the worst of what happens i mean there are so many awful things happening in the world and it almost makes us feel like less in control and like powerless because there's nothing we can directly do about it which again is so hard because i feel like that need for control is just a very primary kind of want and need for autistic individuals because that is how we try and cope with all of the uncertain things in our life. So with that said, I did also want to talk about periods and hormones. And this is especially then for autistic females, because when we are on our period and when our hormones are changing, like that's obviously something we don't have control over. So I was wondering if you could kind of share your experience with that and how your autism ties into these hormonal changes or maybe the other way around. 
absolutely. I think it's so strange because I feel like no one talks about this. When every month when I do get my period, I feel a complete loss of control and I don't know how to deal with that because your hormones are all over the place. You start crying because your dad ate the mushrooms you were planning on eating. <laughs> and it's just so silly. This is this is why I moved out <laughs> so that people wouldn't eat my food. <laughs> Oh, it is such, and it is little things like that that to other people may seem little, yeah. but these things, they kind of say... They get on your nerves. Yeah, and many small things can create one big thing, and then you have a breakdown or an outburst, and then people don't understand you, and you just can't understand why people don't understand you, because you're trying so hard to fit into this neurotypical society, and you just get the feeling that no one sees how hard you're trying. Yeah, and it's then like also very hard to express how you're feeling because that ties back into us having difficulty expressing our emotions which then makes it hard for the other people to help us and it's again I feel like there's so many cycles like in every sense of the word that are just so hard to kind of get out of because cycle it's a circle so you get stuck exactly and getting your period is like a constant reminder of the fact that you are not gonna have control all of the time and dealing with that accepting that is really one of the hardest things in recovery in eating disorder recovery i'm assuming yeah of course <laughs> yeah so i'm also then with that said wondering maybe how like an eating disorder almost acted as a way for you to have control over these monthly changes well, I know for some people, when they have an eating disorder, they just stop having their period, which can give you this sense of control in a way. Mm -hmm. And because you are malnourished, you start to lose sight of how that is actually very harmful. Yeah, definitely. And it almost gives that false sense of control again of like, I can choose right now that I'm not having this monthly cycle. So I can choose to not have my hormones firing and being all over the place. But the interesting thing is that we think our brain is choosing, but actually our body is choosing for us because our body is choosing to not have a period just in order to conserve energy. So it's really again that like all of the control you feel you have is completely false because you think you're choosing. But if you were really choosing, you would not have a panic attack at the idea of eating more because that then it's not your choice anymore it's the eating disorder who's choosing and that's why I think that kind of what we talked about earlier that idea of separating yourself from the eating disorder self can be so powerful because that opens up the door for you to take control back over your eating disorder and also really difficult to kind of separate the eating disorder from the autism because the, the two can be so interconnected that you don't know which is which anymore sometimes. Definitely, yeah. And some of the listener questions on Instagram, some of the my followers actually asked, and I'm wondering if you can maybe speak to this, is how do you know when eating behaviors are autism-related or eating disorder-related? Do you have an answer for them? That is a good question. <laughs> do I have an answer for that? Well, even if you don't, like, how do you cope with that? I think at the end of the day, you have to just accept it, whether it is connected to your autism or your eating disorder. For instance, you have a compulsive need to work out a lot, but you actually feel very tired. That can be due to your eating disorder, but also have to do with mm -hmm. your autism. In any case, you have to accept that your body needs rest. And you have to allow yourself to have that rest. 
I absolutely love that. And I could not agree more because I think especially in eating disorder recovery and just traditional treatment methods are just always psychoanalyzing everything and saying like, well, what caused your eating disorder in the first place? And where is the deep hole in your heart that is causing the pain that you feel you need to control with food, even though like, it doesn't matter where it's coming from. It just matters that you fix it. And I actually had a soccer coach a long time ago. And she always had this one thing that she'd say when someone on the team would pass the ball to a teammate, but we did a poor pass or it was or it got into the opponent's uh, feet or something. And we'd scream, sorry, and she'd say don't say sorry just fix it (laughs) and I would hate it when she said that because it would make you feel like even more guilty for doing the thing but at the same time she was so right like with eating disorders and recovery we often are so focused on like what caused it and why are we doing these things and how but like ultimately there's only kind of one way through and that is to choose recovery and to show up and That will be really hard sometimes, especially when you don't understand exactly why. But I love that word that you used, and that is acceptance, like accepting that you may feel this way and accepting that you have fears and accepting the anxiety and running into that fear and running into that anxiety and choosing to do the right thing. Because I think no matter how hard it is, even when our eating disorders are screaming at us to not do the thing, in our hearts, we know what the right choice is. And some pro tip that I want to give is that the the hard choice in recovery is almost always the right choice because that's the choice that's going against these eating disorder beliefs. So another question that one of my followers had was if the eating disorder can highlight autistic characteristics and we already talked about how autism can kind of induce eating disorder behaviors because like obsessive ritualized approach to life and of course then food because food is part of life it's essential to life I think like you said it's such a tricky line because a lot of autistic behaviors can come across as disordered when it comes to food like you mentioned the exercise one if someone is always engaging in compulsive exercise that can come from an autistic perspective as someone who needs to do the same routine every single day but it can also be disordered when it comes to like an eating disorder because you may be doing it to have to earn your food or to burn off something that you've eaten or to deserve food so if you don't know what to do like in that moment it's accepting like how does your body feel and then responding to it that way instead of overthinking where is this coming from the autism or the eating disorder because it doesn't matter where it comes from if you're tired then your body needs to rest so I loved that example so much yes I will say that I can understand that knowing where it comes from can also help in your recovery otherwise it just feels like you don't know where it comes from you don't know where to start because you don't know where the problem is coming from but in the end like if you're stuck somewhere and you can't find the reason the the thing that set it off you still have to choose recovery you still have to choose you Yeah, it's ultimately about showing up, showing up for recovery. I think the number one key is when you're questioning what the best choice is, is how can I show up for my recovery and how can I be my best self? And you won't be your best self every day because if you were, then best wouldn't exist, you know? It's really ultimately about moving forward and falling down and then getting up again because people often think recovery is like constantly challenging your fears and constantly eating more and constantly gaining weight or whatever other people think but recovery isn't about that recovery is about falling down and then 
choosing to get up. Recovery is actually both your worst enemy and your best friend because it will be the reason of some of the hardest years of your life. But to actually recover, you have to treat it as if it were your best friend. You have to give it your all. Yeah, definitely. It's like that idea of keep your best friends close and your enemies closer. And yeah, I have so many quotes that just go off of that. One of them is, your mess will become your message. Just love that one because my eating disorder almost killed me. Like it literally almost killed me. But right now, my eating disorder journey, my recovery journey is the reason I'm alive. Like it gives me life. So it's just the complete opposite. And I would not be the person I am today. I would not be inspiring other people. And I would not be this passionate about breaking the stigmas around mental health and getting everyone the right help they deserve and have the 100% right to if it weren't for my own journey and my own struggles. Sometimes I do feel like you have to go through some really tough shit in life to really appreciate the beauty of life because you can't have up if there's no such thing as down. Absolutely. With that all said, do you have anything to add to that before we head into our last couple questions? Uh, Just one thing that is, for me, it's actually helped to let go of a lot of the expectations Mm -hmm. because especially regarding autism, these expectations of having to either recover or having to build a career or having to finish school, whatever is that expectation for you, it can become a really big thing. And as soon as you let go of that, and especially of the idea that these big things will bring you happiness, you'll actually start seeing the little things, which are in turn also motivate you to then also recover. Yeah, I love that again. Like everything you're saying, I've just been so in love with it because such words of wisdom and really keys of wisdom because we are often so focused on the end goal and reaching the top of the mountain. But if you don't embrace the journey to the top, it'll be a miserable journey and then reaching the top won't mean anything because you were kind of dreading the time leading up to it the whole time anyways. So I think that's an absolutely beautiful way to round off. And I do have one question that I am planning on asking all my guests. So we will see how this goes. And that question is, If you had one day to live without any obligations, how would you spend it? I would probably wake up around 9 a.m. or 9.30, go downstairs, make some oatmeal, make myself a cup of tea, eat my oatmeal in peace, take a few sips of my tea, (laughs) read my book. And I say my book because I've been reading the same book for forever. So it has become my book. And then... Probably seeing as this is my ideal day, it would be sunny outside and I would probably take a long walk and maybe meet up with a friend, have an early night in, watch a movie and go to sleep. That sounds perfect and that sounds just as I would want to spend my day in peace without other people stealing your mushrooms from the fridge, (laughs) Um, without people interfering, beautiful weather. That sounds absolutely amazing. So can you tell everyone again where people can find you if they want to get in touch? People can find me at at vegantoasty on Instagram. If you send me a DM, I will respond very, very quickly. 
Okay, wonderful. So again, if you did enjoy this episode with me and Fela, screenshot this and tag us on your IG stories and subscribe to the show wherever you are listening. And it would mean the world to us if you could leave a rating review on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. And we will chat soon. Bye.